So today we are talking about how to make money using your creative work with Mitchell Mullins. Today we're talking to Mitchell Mullins. He is a film director, FPV pilot, and just an overall creator of things that are dope. Mitchell, can you go ahead and give a brief synopsis or just introduce yourself? Yeah, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to be talking today. I'm a film director and FPV pilot based out of Los Angeles, California. Uh, my work over the past couple of years has taken me around the world, uh, been able to just shoot with a lot of creative brands uh, and slowly build up my portfolio over the years and uh, meet a lot of amazing creators along the way. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. And I think as creators, you know, everyone that listens to this podcast can agree that's what we're all shooting to do too, man. So, you know, let's let's get into the first question. Or, or, or how'd you get started into that? We'll, we'll preface with that. How'd you get started into that? Yeah, so actually quite a lengthy story, but I'll, I'll give the most like uh, summarized but impactful version of it here. Back in 2016, I believe, I was going to film school in Savannah, Georgia, uh, raised out of Nashville, Tennessee. And I started going to film school, really wasn't feeling it. I felt like I wasn't taking, getting like the most value out of the classes there. And just the overall style of stuff that I was creating for YouTube didn't really fit or match some of the uh, kind of more narrative pieces that we were learning about in film school. So I was like, you know, I think I think there might be another way that I could go about this and just decide, you know what, let's take a break from college. Uh, I'm just going to take like a semester off, end up coming out to California, had a lot of friends out here. And over the next month or so, just would take up every shoot, every opportunity possible to meet as many people as possible. And it became apparent super quickly that, you know, it's just meeting and getting all these opportunities, uh, you know, just really small things like just to go on shoots and meet people and have really good conversations. And instantly I was like, you know what, man, I, I got to be out here. There's no there's no question about it. So decided to make the jump from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, all the way to Los Angeles, California as pretty Pretty big move, I'd say, for uh, living my whole life in Tennessee. It's not really something people do, but my family was supportive of it, and a lot of my friends are supportive of it. So moved out here, and then right off the bat, it was like, all right, you know, how do we make money? <laughs> Rents too, right? And uh, and I just it was actually crazy. Uh, the, one of the first jobs I got out here in Los Angeles was I was going out to shoot with some friends, just going to catch sunset, and I saw this guy recording on his uh on his tripod and he was shooting a fitness video and instantly i was like hey man uh you look like you need a videographer like i would love to help you out and right off the bat he was like yeah man i'm all about it let's do it and that was my first gig out here in los angeles was going and shooting some fitness content for this guy's youtube channel and uh then after that, it was, you know, I started getting a lot of fitness clients out here where it was like people or friends that saw it of his that would want similar content. And so I was like, okay, this is good. I'm starting to build up a small client base. And at the time, still didn't really know too many people and, you know, what you would call the Instagram community. Um, but, you know, from there, I just kept posting my own work. I tried to focus on, you know, my two focuses when I first moved out here were one, paying the bills and to trying to push my own work as much as possible. Uh, I think that's one of the things as a creative that's always kept that fire underneath of me is pursuing those passion projects, um, even outside of doing the commercial work and paying all the bills is, you know, at the end of the day, I, I want to sit down and, you know, work on my own personal videos, whether that's YouTube, Instagram, things like that. So I kind of kept those two running in parallel. 
and I'll say it definitely wasn't easy. Um, you know, making money out here, or there were definitely a lot of months where I was struggling to get by. Um, and you know, like obviously that's kind of a theme that went on for a good, good minute when I first got out here. Um, but I kept just pushing through, kept releasing content. Eventually people started to notice. Uh, I had a lot of people hit me up on Instagram, the community out here. This was back in like 2017 and you're like, Oh, Hey man, let's go shoot together. Let's do this. Um, and then come around 20, like the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I was like, all right, you know what? I feel like I need to diversify my portfolio. Uh, I have a lot of really good content based in Los Angeles, shooting a lot of stuff, but the travel industry really, really interests me. And, you know, the first big question is you're like, how do I get the money to do that? I can't go travel anywhere. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't fit in the, you know, I'm barely paying rent. Um, but I had an, I had an amazing opportunity come up um, where I had a good friend of mine who needed a uh, a lease for like six months and I had, I had six months left in my apartment. So I ended up subleasing my apartment to him and knew enough people at this point that had projects going on and we just got together, pitched a couple projects to some brands and we're like, hey, let's go out, let's shoot this campaign, this campaign. And at the end of the day, all the numbers added up and it was like, sweet. Uh, you know, no, now that, that rent was no longer an issue, I could put that money back into just supporting myself, um, trying to focus on, you know, creating content along the way. So one of the first trips I did uh, in 2018 was I went out with one of my friends, JR Alley, and he shot a, uh, it was actually this campaign for like a cell phone or something for his, uh, his YouTube channel. And that budget kind of paid a lot of the bills for that trip. I was trying to vlog along the way, capture the creative process. Uh, everything was happening. And then after that, another opportunity came up and I was like, sweet, if I keep this going. Uh, I had a couple of brands I was trying to reach out to along the way. And it was like this very like slow moving train, right? You're just like, I don't know if I can make it to next month. Do I need to fly back home? Um, you know, where's, you know, where's everything going? And it was a super uncertain time. Uh, definitely one of the most shaky uh, financial times I've ever been in. Um, but, you know, we just kept pushing through, kept releasing content. And again, people just started to notice. I had a lot of friends on Instagram being like, hey, man, like when you're back, let's shoot or let's do this trip. Um, I got an opportunity in, I think it was June of 2018. And it was to go shoot, I believe it was like 13 properties over four months for this luxury hotel brand. And I was like, oh, man, this is this is it. <laughs> I was like, here we go. Like finally some source of sustainable income on the road. And I was absolutely stoked about that. I was like, man, it's starting to pay off. Uh, and basically met a ton of really good friends of mine on some of those trips, got paired up with some amazing creators. Uh, and then one of my good friends, uh, he goes by Mike Visuals on Instagram, had a couple travel gigs coming up. And he was like, hey, Mitchell, uh, love your stuff. Like, let's, uh, let, like, let's come along on a trip and, and let's try to shoot some content together and create some like YouTube videos for brands and stuff he was doing on his channel at the time. And all of that pretty much pushed me all the way through 2018. Um, and I had all of this travel content, you know, was was making enough to get by. It was like, you know, the classic case of just taking all the profits from everything and just pouring it right back into, uh, into the business, back into content for myself. And coming back into 2019, I was like, okay, let's uh, let's find a more sustainable way to do this. So I kept myself based out of Los Angeles a little bit more. wasn't too ambitious on the traveling, and because of the work I was putting out, uh, ended up getting a lot of clients coming back saying, "Hey, we really loved 
you know, this YouTube video or this Instagram post, do you think we could do something like that in Dubai, in, you know, Europe somewhere, whatever? And I was like, oh man, I would, I would love to do that. And then started getting a couple opportunities going over to Europe, uh, ended up working with the tourism board in Colorado. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it also shows and reflects one of the classic cases of like, you know, the work you want to be paid for is the work that you should be putting out on a consistent basis. Right. And it's like it's almost like your body of work. If, if you want to be shooting weddings, you should be putting out wedding content because that's that's what people are going to see. And that's all they're going to know you for as a creative. And so that's the work ultimately that they're going to actually want from you. So by putting out a lot of this traveling content, you know, a lot of like really crazy destinations, uh, they're like, oh, he's capable and able to come and you know creatively lead and direct some of these projects uh, for really no matter what the brand was. And then that just became part of the brand on, on Instagram and YouTube. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's developed over the years where, you know, coming into 2020, one of my bigger goals was, okay, let's, you know, how, you know, even into 2019 it was like really how sustainable can we make this? Because traveling on the road, it does take a lot out from you. I, I think you like, you know, when you're gone, you have no sense of routine. Um, but also, you know, when, when that's coming from, you know, that's where, that's where your paychecks are coming from, basically, is you being on the road, you trading your time for, you know, creating a product for some brand or company, which is amazing. Um, but at the same time, you also lose a sense of community and a home base when you're gone for too long. You know, like, I, I think in 2018, I was gone for something like 300 days straight. Uh, I think I flew back at one point to put all my stuff into uh, a storage container uh, before coming back in 2019 and uh, trying to trying to actually put my life back together out here in Los Angeles. And so then going back into 2020, I was like, okay, sweet. We have all of this traveling content. We have a really good body of work that I'm, I'm really proud of. Uh, it's, you know, how do we, how do we transfer this into a, you know, bigger scale of working on sets, directing more projects actually based here in Los Angeles and, Obviously, I think 2020 was a really crazy year for everyone uh, because coming into 2020, I was like, okay, sweet. I want to direct some projects, all these things. And obviously COVID hit. And I, you know, I, th I think for people like COVID went one of two ways. I think there was like either a big reclusion, uh, which is completely justified. You know, I, I even myself had not a lot of, of work coming in, but I also think it was a really good time for people to develop themselves personally. And I definitely took that time to just kind of sit down, like rework what were some of the business models I had, um, you know, where where was my income coming from and what were some of the most important areas that I was drawing income from to to keep this whole thing afloat. And, you know, like what identifying what your ambitions are and, you know, what's sustainable for the long term. Dude, that's like there was so much in there. I'm like trying to figure out what to say. That's just it's crazy. Um, I love that one. Two, you answered like a lot of questions that I, I, I personally get from creatives, especially starting out. And three, I've got a power question for you then. Yeah. Um, two of them. I, I, I saw that you uh, you worked with Sam Newton Media at one time. So just kind of <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Like kind of a little, ba a little bit of banter. Um, <laughs> Sony or Canon? <laughs> uh, Canon all the way. You know, I, I say that. I went from i think the, the camera order the first camera i ever had was the canon t2i and then i remember this was this was way back in in high school uh i saved up all my money and i learned what a full frame camera was 
And I spent all my money. I found this deal on Craigslist. It was like $800. And there was a Canon 6D. And I was like, dude, this is a steal at the time. I think they were going for like $1,400, bucks uh, used or something like that. And I was like, dude, I got to get this camera. Just spent all my money at the time to buy this Canon 6D. And then I didn't even have a lens for it. I had to save up to get the like nifty 50 lens to go on it. <laughs> um, but I was like a diehard Canon guy. And then, and then, of course, like in college, I saw what the A7S II could do. And I was like, oh, man, here we go. We're about to switch, aren't we? So sold my sold my Canon, got the uh, the A7S II, and at the time, that was like a life-changing camera, right? It's like, okay, now you can shoot at night. You can do anything you want, no creative limits. And then, and then of course, the infamous 1DX Mark II comes around. And uh, it, the, the A7S II really stood no chance, I think, in my mind for being a, a versatile photo and video camera. So jump ship, uh, Canon. 1DX Mark II, and crazy enough, now I'm actually shooting on Blackmagic uh, on the 6K, but uh, but I'd say Canon or Sony, Canon all the way. See, I have like the opposite experience. Like uh, I came up, and I actually started my creative pursuits uh, doing competitive food challenges on the internet. Mm. Right, like mm. I, was, I was I was in the Marine Corps. I'm a veteran turned creator, and yeah. I was actually prepping for a bodybuilding competition one time after boot camp and after losing all this weight. I was like, cool, let me just do men's physique or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to do the show cause I graduated the school early and I ended up doing the competitive food eating. And then I stumbled on Roman Atwood vlogs and Casey mm. Neistat furious Pete's mm-hmm. vlogs. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll vlog, you know, the, the, uh, experiences to doing these food challenges. Cause I can eat or I could, I don't do it anymore, but mm-hmm. I was getting like menu items named after me. I was getting like T-shirts. I was, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had some things happening. So I was like, "Hey, yeah. let me try this." Because, you know, like when you go to eat and eat a fifty-five ounce burger, a whole portion of fries, and twenty-four ounce drink in less than ten minutes, people are like, "Oh, wow, okay." Or like, um, you know, everything like that. But yeah, after watching Casey Neistat, I got the Canon seventy D, which yep. I used for the longest time, and there was definitely some drawbacks. Uh, the biggest was it didn't shoot more than 30 frames a second. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this ADD, if I would have just done that one, it would have. But I was looking at the frame rates on all the cameras, right? And short of the 1DX at the time that Peter McKinnon was using, it was mm-hmm. a massive camera. I wanted something I could travel with. I wanted something that you know I could yeah. do whatever I needed with. And mm-hmm. I didn't have to spend 8K on. And so yeah. I made the decision after I shot on my friend's Sony a7 III that I'd make that work. And I waited mm. and I saved, well, I, I waited a year to pull the trigger until I could really like justify it, you know? Cause I was still making mm. money with the Canon. I was like, let me just, let me see if I can justify this. And yeah. then I have the Sony a7 III and then the Sony a7 S III comes out right after, you know? <laughs> and oh, this, man. it's my first full frame camera. And it's the yeah. first time I've actually bought like professional lenses. Like I've got a, uh, what is it? 17 to 28, 2.8. I got the uh, 24 to 70, 2.8, but I got the Sigma version. And then I got a G Master, the 70 to 200, to kind of prompt me to use telephoto like lenses more. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just excited for everything that Sony has. Because, I mean, that 120 frames a second, you couldn't find yeah. that on any Canon camera that didn't cost $8,000. 100%. I, I seriously do think. If uh, if I hadn't jumped the ship to the Black Magic, if the A7S III had come out sooner, I I probably would have gotten that one. So I I'd, I'd probably still be a I, I guess I'm on the I guess that makes me on the fence, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I hear I hear 
mixed reviews on the black magic camera and uh, it, it is finick it is finicky and every time i use it there is there is that doubt i'm like you know i don't have the you know i, I do have a setup where i can put like the 15 mil rods on it and put a v-mount on the back uh, but usually if you're running around with like uh, the the 6k on the ronin s you usually have like the canon batteries in there and man i've had so many issues of it just shutting down or it just eats through these batteries so fast like fair enough but uh you know when i use it it's like oh man i don't know like this is so crazy like th- this is like not really working that well and then every time i sit down in davinci resolve to color grade i'm like all right that's that's why i use it i i love this image i think it looks something comparable to like a red or like the uh yeah just like any red camera or an alexa sometimes okay see i haven't shot red yet I'm I'm going mm-hmm. to do it at some point. I just haven't had mm-hmm. the you know, especially if you're trying to be a travel creator, red's not the way to go. I feel yeah, <laughs> yeah unless you're Peter McKinnon and you're just trying to flex on everybody, you know. Yeah, I know I know suitcase. some guys. Yeah, I know some guys that do it. And man, I'll tell you, it it'll break your back for sure. <laughs> it's uh you know I I know some guys that like grab an f stop bag and and throw a you know like the the red dragon X or something in there with like a huge lens and I'm like. Man, it works. Like it, it, your images look beautiful, but for the hassle it's worth, you it comes with the trade-off. You're less nimble. One, some that price is is completely unsustainable for a lot of people and the upkeep. So you know, at the end of the day, you're probably better off. You know, what's the eighty twenty rule? Like eighty percent of the uh, of the look of the image of a red with twenty percent of the cost. Yeah, and so. Um, I want to try black magic at some point, you know, when I, whenever mm-hmm. I get to a point where I can just like mess around with things because how many bit, uh, footage does it do? I just record everything in B raw. Uh, so it's, it's recording raw. You can, you can choose the compression rate. Okay. Uh, so you can do like, I think, I don't even know. What I was it's like three to one, five to one, eight to one or 12 to one. And I'm usually rocking like five to one or eight to one or something like that. There's yeah. really no difference. Like you're recording raw. So there's zero compression. It's just compression on the raw data itself see with the sony a7 III, it's kind of like a raw imitation but it's not quite Mm -hmm. raw and i believe it's 8-bit footage and so when -hmm. you're shooting flat um you're supposed to be two stops overexposed right yeah with the sony you kind of have to go down to 1.7 to 1.3 depending on what you're doing just Mm -hmm. so you know you don't overstretch it's 8-bit right and then yeah. I think I saw the new Sony that just came out that cost like sixty five hundred dollars or eight thousand, whatever it was, does fifty yeah. bit. <laughs> and so that's why I was asking the Black Magic how many like I didn't know, I don't know how many bit it is, but at that point it's like it's like you're color correcting in Lightroom. Yeah, yeah. At the, at that point, yeah, because in DaVinci Resolve, I, I've just found like I always color grade everything in DaVinci, but I edit in Premiere. And whenever I edit the Blackmagic footage, you open up the raw color panel. So you're able to adjust your color temp afterwards. You can adjust your tent. And what's the beautiful thing about the Blackmagic 2 is it has a dual ISO. So you usually on like a camera, you'd say your, your ISO is cleanest at 100. Uh, but on like a lot of cinema cameras like Reds and stuff, the base is actually 800. One, yeah, I don't know of the why. flat profile. Yeah, yeah, like the flat profile, like it has the most dynamic range. I don't know, like technically, why it's eight hundred, um, but on the Black Magic, it's four hundred, and then it has another base ISO of thirty two hundred. So thirty two hundred, it's like if you're shooting at twenty five hundred, you get a lot of noise in the image, and then you hit that mark of thirty two hundred, and it becomes really clean again, and it's like another starting point for your ISO. So 
from past experience, the Black Magic and Low Light, like I don't think it's comparable to the A7S III because that thing's just a monster um, in Low Light, but it, it definitely holds its weight. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely impressed by it. Especially for, sure. for the bang for buck, it's not like it oh, costs. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. What is it? It's yeah. like two thousand dollars for the body, and then what lenses? You have to get an adapter, right, for the lenses? No, no, it actually is all well. You, <laughs> you might have to get an adapter with Sony. Uh, okay, it's uh, EF mount. So you can run all the Canon lenses on it. I just have a 16 to 35 and then a 100 macro. And That's why it, you like it so much then. Yeah, it's so easy to just go back and forth. Like it doesn't really have autofocus or anything like that. And that's another thing too is the lack of images, right? Like if you're taking a lot of stills, I would definitely would not recommend the Blackmagic 6K. Like it takes stills, but it's not a photo camera. You know, it's basically just pulling a still image from your 6k footage which is like what is like 8 or 12 megapixels yeah definitely wouldn't recommend that like if you want photo i just personally it's actually funny you bring this up uh this was a convo sam newton and i had um one of our trips was like he doesn't shoot photo either uh i used to shoot a lot of photos and that would be kind of in my package for uh you know clients and stuff be like okay i can do video and photo and personally like one i think photo is amazing i have a lot of friends that do photography full-time and they make a killing from it uh but personally i wasn't finding enough value like the time value trade-off in doing photos on top of everything um just it'd be like okay i was end up making more money just strictly from video and pitching just as video Uh, if i need photo i'll just pull someone else in and that way i can just focus on on the product of the video but that, that was a combo i had with sam and we always make fun of him because he never takes any photos on uh, on his camera. <laughs> so, what does he shoot on? Uh, now he shoots on the One DX Mark III, which is actually a great camera for photos. <laughs> Damn! So he's he's about to get jacked then because that thing's pretty that thing's pretty hefty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Per- personally, I was siding towards. I wanted him to get the the six K. Or look into another option, especially if he didn't take photos. But yeah, I don't know, teach teach their own, I guess. Oh, for sure, hundred <sighs> um, percent. I've I've been loving what he's been doing lately. But mm-hmm. um, oh, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say, oh yeah, I'm gonna preface the next kind of like power question with, if you ever need somebody to take photo, let me know. I got you, hundred <laughs> percent. Sweet. I'm down for an adventure, and you can look at my uh, Instagram right now to kind of check out what I do. A shameless yeah. plug. But film school, <laughs> yay or nay? Mm, that's Because that's, question, that's a big thing that people talk about, like, oh, you should do it, or no, you shouldn't. You know, like, it's, it's kind of like the black magic cinema camera. There's people on both sides of that fence. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there will always be people on both sides of that fence because I think, I think your experience from university is so subjective, right? Like, it's really like what you put into it is what you get out of it. I have friends that swear by it or they've gone to film school, done all four years. And one thing, one bonus they've really seen from it is the connections that they made in film school play out over the years and years and years, right? Like if you're a very social person, you're on film sets all the time, you love that stuff, you're at film school, uh, the people that you meet there are going to be the people that are leading the industry in 10 years, right? And I've seen, I've seen that play out really, really well for people. Uh, as well as it kind of gives you a buffer zone, right? Like it's it's like subjective in a way too, where it goes, you know, are are you ready to be out in the world making money on your own? And if the answer is no, coming out of high school, uh, then you know, going to university uh, or any college campus might might really be helpful to give you a buffer zone to kind of learn 
uh, either some business skills or just technical skills if you feel you're not ready for it. Uh, it's a great time to just experience your life. You know, I, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's positives and negatives to not going to film school. Personally, I felt like I wasn't getting enough out of it to be paying a lot of money for it. So I ended up leaving. Uh, it sounds kind of cliche <laughs> in some sense to go, oh, left film school, pursue passion, LA, blah, blah, blah. But in a sense, you know, if, if you're not getting the value from something that you're paying for, uh, you should probably take a step back and and just kind of reevaluate uh, the direction that you want to go. And you feel like if you feel like you have what it takes to go out and, you know, get clients or work with other people, if you're a very social person, that helps a lot, too. Because uh, out here in Los Angeles, you know, it's like it's it you know, it's it's cliche in a sense, but it really is who, you know, um, it's, you know, I've seen a lot of guys like years and years ago, I remember I would get confused because I was, I was like head down grinding, trying to put out these projects, doing stuff. And I used to be like, okay, sweet. Like if I have really, really good work, everyone will notice. And in a, in a way that's true. And, and parts of that are true. But also I was seeing others have a lot of success in just going out and meeting new people. Uh, and, you know, in a sense, like the word, the word connections or like networking, um, I, I never really use those too much i almost just view it as making friends right like you just want to go out into the world and you know be yourself and kind of be like hey you know here i am these are the things that i'm really passionate about and i think other passionate people uh stick to that and you know that that fosters a lot of really good conversations and through that you know if these people are are in the industry and doing it like for real for real then they're going to be the decision makers uh in whatever amount of time and and you're right there behind them to uh, help make everything happen. I love that. Um, I lo That's a very good answer for that. A lot of people are just like, you know, I mean, Casey Neistat was a big one for me. Like, um, mm -hmm. he didn't go to film school, and he says, you don't necessarily need it, but if you have that desire, do it. Kind of. Uh, that was how I perceived it, right? And, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, or I was going to say, if I were to go to film school, it would be for, you know, a couple of reasons. One, being a veteran, I can get paid to go to school. And Love so that. I would get paid to go to film school. So I'd be able to save up money and they would cover the school. And it would be for those connections to be social, to just get that creative like juice flowing and to work with a red camera. Those would be my like it for me personally in the situation I'm in right now. Um, but I, I like what you said, like it, it could go both ways. There are people that go out there with a camera and they just go, you know, they, they work on their craft and then they start making money. And then there's people that kind of use film school as that direction. And so, I really appreciate that answer. Mm -hmm. I, I've also seen other people as well, not necessarily pursue film school, but have gone to college for, they go, okay, I want to do video uh, and, you know, all this, but then they'll go either like part-time, just get an associate's uh, or a bachelor's degree in business or, you know, some type of business and entrepreneurship or certain like thing. Like personally, I don't see an, enough value in that to pursue that. Um, but I have heard of people that has helped them when it comes to actually facilitating uh, their own companies or if they want to own a production house, just knowing the ins and outs of business. I think there's a lot of online courses you could probably take and just jump straight into doing video. Like, you know, if, if you want to do something, there's no better way than to just start it um, yeah. and, and, and learn along the way. You know, I think going to school, like if you're trying to do video, uh, I definitely wouldn't wait four years or two years and pay a lot of money then to start. Uh, I would start right away and see if that kind of fits into into what you're doing. Uh, yeah, well, that's a big thing when you look up like, 
I mean, so why are morning and evening routines such a big deal? Why are entrepreneurs such a big deal? Why are like like all these things that happen, you know, action outweighs anything else, right? Even even quality at first, because the action you take will inherently like it. Like, um, oh, there was you, you remember when everybody was daily vlogging for a while? Yeah, right? I was on that boat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to get into it, but I was shooting on a PC where I had to uh, render all my footage first, and it was just. It was the most exhausting process ever. Um, now with the MacBook and everything else, you know, I can do it. And I've thought about it. I've got a project where I'm going to do something similar. But um, there was a while where, like, people were daily vlogging. And it was kind of like, at first, it was like this loss of quality for people as they try to figure out how to tell daily stories, right? But then over time, you know, even though they went for quantity instead of quality, over time, they worked back into the quality with the quantity, right? Because they, they got such fa- like faster workflows. They had better ideas. They had better executions. They were able to turn thoughts into things faster. And that action directly correlated to what they were able to do, whether it was for brands, whether it was for themselves. And then when they went back to the quant- quant- or the quality aspect of things, they were able to knock things out of the park so much faster, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think to play off of that, like, we all I think one important thing is to be objective about, you know, what what your skill levels are, because as creatives, we always want to be pushing forward and increasingly, you know, what's better, what's like the next biggest, you know, step for ourselves and our work and different things. And sometimes I feel like that that, you know, we get in our own way uh, when it comes to creating like really good products for for companies or brands um, you know, or video campaigns or anything like that. And even for ourselves. And like you said, it's like action kind of trumps everything. Right. And in a sense, it's like, you know, hold yourself to whatever quality that, you know, you see is going to push you and what areas of film you want to be pushed in. Uh, but at the same time, I've seen that hold up people, um, from actually releasing things and just take action, uh, continue to work on your craft, continue to improve, but, you know, don't don't hold yourself too high that uh, that it never you never put out anything or you never deliver. I, I think that's definitely a way not to uh, make a living from from video. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, Casey Neistat's got a. I know I'm quoting Casey a lot. There's a lot of no, he's, he's I the goat. He's yeah, the goat. for sure. I mean, Peter McKinnon, too. I think they did this episode together. Um, this, this is just popping to mind into my mind what you say. But Casey talks about how. You know, when you get three okay shots, right, you can tell a story. But when you get one perfect shot, there's no story there, right? And yep. so, love it. So, um, what is it? I had this. I talked to this other buddy of mine, and he had this 80-20 rule, right? He said 80% of the work takes 20% of the time, and 20% of the work takes 80% of the time. So get that 80% done, and then just do what you need to do, right? Instead yeah. of instead of you know putting four hours into a video and having two of those vi- uh, hours be t- for 20% of the work, why don't you just do the first two hours, wrap it up, and then put it out? I mean, you notice Casey Neistat had an intro for his vlogs, but there wasn't really an end, right? Because they were continuous. They were kind of played into each other. He just right. filmed and then did whatever he needed to do, and then it would go black, and then there'd be an intro to his next vlog. So he had, like, uh, you know, he had that kind of idea. Instead of trying to... Yeah take all that time to wrap it up or do anything like that he's like cool this is good enough and then over time as you do that like i said the quality work does get better as you go right but it does take time just like with anything else yeah i think you get more efficient at the editing process or in any other process in film right like at a certain point it kind of gets put on autopilot while you're editing 
in the beginning, I feel like the learning curve is so steep because you, you, you have to think about like, okay, what hotkeys am I pressing? Like what, what shortcut, like shortcut command keys do I have to press to make this happen? But later on, you know, like when you're doing it over and over and over, you don't have to think about it. Those things become automatic and you can just focus on, you know, you basically make room in your head for, for more important things and how to make your films better. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, the next question I have for you is what advice do you have about making money while you travel using your creative work? And then what other advice do you have about making money as a creator in general? Yeah, I, I would say my biggest point on that would be to just put yourself out there. Um, I feel like, you know, this is even, even advice that I could still give myself, uh, even like looking back or even in the current day. I think it's one thing that has helped me, uh, to some degree is just continually to put my work out there, uh, reaching out to brands, even if you get no's, uh, you go, hey, we're not interested. A lot of, a lot of, you know, success is just hitting, you know, the right brand or the right person at the right time and fostering that relationship and over delivering. And when you do that, uh, it, in a sense, it really doesn't matter what avenue of film, whether it's travel, whether it's anything. I, I think this applies everywhere. It's really just taking your shot, uh, not being afraid to miss and, and yeah, just just put yourself out there. I couldn't agree more. Um, more specifically, though, what what are some ways you can make money while you're on the go? And so, is would you say reaching out to brands is what's important there, or uh, what what do you say? Yeah, yeah, and and I think I, I I understand what you're getting at here. Like there there are a lot of different ways to make money. I think uh, just how I've personally structured it has been project to project. Uh, so it's been, you know, traveling to a different location to go shoot for a brand. Uh, and then on the back end of that being like, okay, let me shoot a personal project, do this or that. Um, so one, going back, yes, reaching out. Uh, there are a lot of other passive ways to make income, whether that's selling stock footage, uh, you know, going on black box, uh, working on, you know, you could be editing while you're on the road. A lot of these things are very like decentralized where you don't need to uh, be necessarily anywhere uh, to be color grading clips or anything like that. So also seeking out clients that you know allow you to uh, be on the road while you edit or you know some type of editing position, just working through like creative direction. Like I've I've had a couple projects where I've just gotten on and given like creative feedback uh, for stuff, and you know a brand comes and goes, hey, we love the direction that you're taking creatively. Uh, how about we just hop on the phone and you creatively direct these things? You know, I don't didn't necessarily need to be anywhere. So I think keeping an open mind to, you know, what style of projects and like another example would be, uh, I had this director hit me up for a while and we did uh, a lot of coloring projects where I would just be, he would send me a ProRes 422 file of their finished commercial and I would chop it up in DaVinci and then just color grade it. And I didn't need to be anywhere necessarily. So in a sense, it's also just taking advantage of, you know, if you are traveling, uh, I mean, one, first and foremost, make sure you have enough income to, um, you know, at least break even uh, and, and have a safety net and make sure that you're investing back in yourself. Um, and when that does become a possibility, uh, you know, just just trying to scale those projects up and and make your opportunities bigger. Wow. OK. Um, one one tip that I've gotten and one thing mm -hmm. I encourage other people to keep in mind is trying to develop passive streams of income, like what you said mm -hmm. with the stock footage 
or, you know, putting out a preset or a LUT pack if you're at that level or, you know, different things that you can do. Just ask yourself, what else can you do? That way you can make money while, I mean, ideally while you sleep, right? Because if you're making money while you sleep, you're making money on the road. Yeah, and, and one thing, uh, we briefly talked about this beforehand, uh, before we started the podcast, but uh, back in, I believe it was May or April of 2020, right when COVID hit, um, I mean, everyone was locked down, so necessarily wasn't traveling, uh, but I did have some opportunities I had to cancel, so I would have been on the road, uh, but is doing, you know, selling digital products. Uh, that that is a really good way if you would like to make some type of passive income. I mean, I'll preface that with you know all passive income. It's it's not passive. It does it does need some attention at some point and and along the way. Nothing's like truly truly passive, um, but it is a low cost, low barrier to entry way to continue to provide value for people and create a like sustainable product that can kind of run itself. Um, so one example you've used is like the Creator FX Pack. Uh, actually run by my good friend Jack, or not Jack on Instagram. Uh, he put that together with Jeremiah Davis, and they ran the Creator FX bundle um, back in. That, that was actually amazing for me as well, because coming right into quarantine, how you're in Los Angeles, I was like, man, like, you know, what what does work look like the next couple months? And, you know, you have a little bit saved up, but I was like, dude, um, I had a couple editing jobs going on and, and Jack came in and he was like, Hey man, let's do, let's do the creator FX bundle. And I got to be a part of that, uh, with some really big names in there. And, uh, that, that, that was incredible. That, that really opened my eyes, I think, to digital products, just seeing like, okay, here is what the possibility and values are, or like value is for, you know, making some, making more money online. So it's, it's definitely been an eye opening experience. Oh yeah, that Creator FX bundle was crazy. There was so much like things going on in that thing, and I remember that was the first time I ever reached out to you, not even expecting like a reply back, but mm-hmm. I think I was like, "Hey man, how do I use this like, you know, uh, I don't know if it was a preset or a LUT or whatever it was, but yeah. like this isn't working." And you told mm-hmm. me the workaround, and that was the first introduction I ever had to like Mitchell Mullins. Mm. Yeah, I I had a lot of dms and comments from people come in and go hey man i didn't i didn't know of your work um beforehand but i saw your name in this bundle and i looked you up and i really like your stuff and i was like wow man i i really appreciate that <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad i could give you some value there and, and open your eyes but yeah man that that was a cool cool experience to be a part of um you know it's actually funny we mentioned him earlier but sam newton was the one who actually pushed me to uh, be in it whenever whenever Jack came to me. It's actually a pretty funny story. Uh, I was actually sick, and it was right during coronavirus, like the pandemic was starting. I didn't have coronavirus, uh, but I had strep throat pretty bad, and uh, I had just gotten some medication for it. I was still running a fever, and we had like a twenty four hour um, twenty four hours until like the cutoff point when they had to release all the assets and everything was going in. And uh, I was actually sick. I was running like a massive fever. I was just in my apartment by myself. And uh, I was like, dude, I really want to do this. And I really want to put all the finishing touches on these things and put it in. But I just like, I can't even roll out of bed. And uh, <laughs> and Sam actually ended up calling me and he was like, hey, man, uh, I know you're sick right now, but uh, you, you need to get your ass over to the computer and uh, and make this happen. And I was like, you're right, man. You're right. Let me let me roll over and I'll do it. So I spent like an entire day just uh, wrapping up all the assets I had made and, and, you know, put a pretty little bow on it and then we shipped it off. And, uh, and I'm super grateful. He was, he was able to push me with that because it, it paid off for sure. Dude, that's amazing. Honestly, (laughs) 
I'm so excited to have like a story like that where I can look back and go, oh yeah, like you know Sam Newton called me up, hey dude, when are you putting the YouTube video out? Or or Sam Colder, <laughs> like you know, like yeah. just that like little creative flex, like oh you know that creator you look up to, he called me other uh, not okay. I don't I want to preface, I don't want to yeah. do it for the flex. I'm just excited to be part of the community, but like. Yeah. It's it's so crazy to see how everybody I talk to on this podcast how they tie into each other like I you know um, I don't know if you know anybody named Gabe Desanti or Exploring with mm-hmm. Cody or any of them but like mm-hmm. uh, I met them when I was living in New York and then a lot of people like like uh, know of them or they're tied in or they all follow each other and so it's just, it's this huge network community and so I'll be talking to somebody on this podcast. And it'll just be like, oh, yeah, like this one guy, you know, like uh, Rory Kramer or something like that. Like, yeah, uh, I called him up the other day and we were working on something. And it's just, you know, it's this crazy, like, community that I've seen. And so I was going to ask you, you know, I've I've noticed that everybody follows each other. How did you get involved in that community and what advice would you give others that want to do the same thing? Yeah, man. I mean, this this community is I am extremely grateful to be a part of it, like the, the people in it are amazing. I think it's a community of growth. Um, everyone's just constantly dropping stuff, and it's very co-collaborative. Um, I mean, man, it kind of goes back to some of the like business practices and ideas I was talking about earlier, where it's really just putting yourself out there. You know, if you want to provide value to someone who's creating something at a higher level, like I think this apply in any area of film industry. Um, but you know, it's just say like, hey, like I'd love to help you out, man. I love what you're doing. Uh, not everyone needs help, so you probably won't have a 100% success rate with that. Um, but, you know, if you see a need, you know, you meet one person and they know everyone. Uh, you know, I, I could bump into any creative out here with a camera or knows a couple people in this community. And instantly, I, I already know that there's like probably at least five people that we follow mutually that are, you know, either acquaintances, good friends, uh, or that have worked together in the past. So... You know, one person, you know, everyone, you know, if you get along with, with anyone in this community, really, you get along with everyone. So I think, you know, it really doesn't take much, but it does take time to foster those relationships and kind of see where you fit in and what, like, you know, your your style and people that you like to create with. And, and yeah, man, it's, it's really just being social, you know, and I feel like for me, that definitely doesn't come naturally. Uh, I'd consider myself like very ambivert, like introverted and extroverted. Uh, but when I was growing up, I was very, very introverted, very shy kid. Uh, you know, doing anything socially kind of freaked me out. Wasn't like uh, biggest fan of it. But, you know, coming out here and it's like, okay, if we're going to su- pursue the directing route, uh, you know, we got to step it up. We got to meet more people. We kind of got to grow our out of our shell and just start attacking this thing. You know, like, let's let's just meet more people and just see what happens. And, uh, you know, that's just just being open to any experience. And, you know, when I first moved out here, I was like, dude, I'm just going to go shoot with everyone and just see how many people I can meet and just vibe with and uh, ended up just hitting up a lot of people. There were a couple of weird people I ended up hanging out with that I <laughs> didn't really mind too much about. But I think pretty quickly you find uh, you, you find your niche and you find the good people really fast because there's a lot out there. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get started. Uh, how much or, or how important is collaboration and how much does that help you as well as the others you're collaborating with as creators? You know, when it comes to collaboration, I think there's there's really like two two sides of it, I guess, in my mind. It's like, one, you're collaborating 
on, or at least when people use the term collaboration, I often think of like a YouTube collab, like people are partnering together in an exchange of value or audience. Um, but then also, I think a stronger collaboration is a collaboration of ideas. Uh, and this isn't something you see too, too often. You know, everyone's really busy doing their own thing. Um, but, you know, quite recently, just to give an example, uh, I don't know if you know the creator Alex Broadstock. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good friend of mine. I met him like two years ago on, on a project. And uh, very recently, or like during COVID, or like the lockdown, we had uh, we just FaceTime every now and then, just keeping up. And we we're like, hey man, like we gotta our our styles are very very similar. Uh, we we gotta create something special. I, I know we could we could create a really sweet project together. And uh, anyway, this last November, uh, we we sent a couple of pitches out for a project. A lot of them got declined. Uh, it's pretty experimental idea, um, but Adobe picked up part of it and. He, uh, he had worked with them before and Alex came back to me and he was like, hey man, I have, I have this collaboration I'm doing with Adobe. How about we just take that budget and pour it into uh, a bigger project and, and present it to them. And he came out here in November and basically just co-collaborated on all these ideas uh, for this film, put it together. We had like a three or four day shoot with a full set, uh, a crew with a ton of friends, just people in the community came out um, you know, we, we paid people where we could, uh, but a lot of, you know, a lot of close friends were just down to help out and was just taking input from everyone, just being like, okay, cool. Like, what do we think of this, this feeling and like the story we have going on? And, uh, we basically told the story. We followed this one character, uh, who loses inspiration and he goes out into the world and ends up stumbling upon the control room of reality. And then there's a bunch of people on the screens on this, in this control room. And uh, he ends up tweaking a bunch of it and distorts their reality through some VFX. And at the end, the the premise of the ad is to, uh, you know, because one guy found inspiration, he changed the way that other people see the world. Um, and then at the end, they find their own inspiration or their own control room. And that's kind of the idea we had for this project for Adobe. So it's still in the works. Uh, we're trying to drop it in February. Uh, but it's definitely been a very, very co-collaborative process uh, going back and forth on some of the film ideas, the story structure. Um, you know, I've collaborated with people before, whether it comes to like business projects or campaigns, where it's more so like, okay, we're we're co-directing or we're co-DPing, uh, you know, this shoot or just in general working with other people on set, no matter what the, the roles and positions are. Um, but that, that was one of the first chances we got to really do something big and really like combine our ideas together. And it, it's definitely, definitely impacted me. I definitely want to collaborate more uh, with more people. So going back to your question, I think it's very, very important. Uh, I think everyone's collaborating in some way, if you know yourself, if you know like other people out here. Uh, but I think to combine some of your ideas with other people and try to think together, and think bigger together, uh, I think there's a lot of value in that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really important. Does does having like those brands is that like how long is that crazy for like do you get used to that when you're like oh wow like you know dollar shave club or adobe or anybody else just like approved this project i wanted to do with them like like do you get used to that is uh used to it in what way just like like it, it becomes you know just another like like um kind of like I don't know, box you check off on your daily task list. Like you look at the email, you're like, okay, cool, Adobe did kind of cross that off. Or is it like every time you see like Adobe approve your project or, or, or just like any brand like that that you kind of know already, 
Um, does it, is it still like kind of like a crazy experience? I, it, it always is a crazy experience. I mean, one, just looking from, you know, so far in my entire career holistically, it's like, oh man, like I can't believe that I'm, I'm getting to work on some of these things. Or like, for instance, this last December, I got to do a job with Beautiful Destinations. And I remember being in college being like, man, I would do anything to work for them. And then three years later, met the right people, everything fell into place. And we're doing a project together. And I, I think, I think when it comes to, you know, brands hold their weight by their name and, and the products that they put out and, and the certain feeling attached to their name. And that has its own weight. But also, the more projects you do for brands, you kind of realize the different tiers that they have for different budgets and creating different things, right? Like, there is a whole division of you know, Adobe or any other brand that is is like sponsoring different people's posts on YouTube. And you're not necessarily working directly with them. Um, but you know, they want to sponsor, they want an ad from you, they want either an ad read on YouTube or something like that. And then there's, you know, the mid tier projects, you're like helping out with, uh, you know, they want to sponsor and create some idea uh, with you. And then there's like the highest tier of production, which is, you know, you're coming in, And, you know, they're relaunching something and you're directing the full campaign for, you know, Adobe brand XYZ. So brands work on a lot of different tiers. um, And I think the scale of that project has a lot to do with the excitement of it. Am I grateful for all of them and overwhelmed by all of them? Yes, 100 percent. And and they don't always just like, you know, brands don't like flood in. I, I think a lot of times it. It, it's a long process, right? Like you have to reach out. Uh, it usually involves getting on a phone call. There's a lot of, you know, maybes. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of brands have come back with just maybes. And then six months later, you throw something else at them and you have a good idea. And they're like, well, how about we shift it into this? And then you end up landing, you know, doing a, a job with, you know, the Adobe's or whoever whoever is in your mind, you know. So it's, Oh, it's definitely a process. Like when you get into the nitty gritty of it, um, you know, there, there's a lot more to it than just like, oh, check check the box off, whatever. You know, you get a project for. We'll just you. We'll keep using Adobe as the example. Uh, it goes okay. Well, you know, how do you get that done? Like you you got to start. It's like okay, now you get a hundred other items on your checklist, right? You go instead of you know project with Adobe check. It's more like completed call with Adobe. Uh, you know, what's the next step in production? Is that I need to find a producer, I need to call eight people to produce this project, who are the actor, you know, there's like, there's a 1000 other steps that go below that. And then, you know, it could be months later until it's actually wrapped. Um, And then you kind of just have multiple projects going on at the same time. And they tend to overlap. Sometimes it can get a bit overwhelming. And you try to, you know, just try to stay very narrow and focused um, on, on the tasks that are important. But over time, the goal is to, uh, you know, be able to focus more and more on one certain project and, you know, obviously be able to charge more and, and just spend your time more wisely. Fair enough. I didn't like, I don't know. I guess you see these brands so often at your, like everybody's hit with advertising so much that like, you know, you're always constantly seeing Adobe and you're seeing the people they're sponsoring or they're or they're like working with. And then you see Dollar Shave Club, and you see all these other companies. And yeah. so I guess it's very easy to just think it's like a quick process. I didn't realize like how much of a slow game it was, because I guess like or, or, or for me, it put into the 
perspective that, yes, I do see their name a lot with a lot of different people, right? Whoever it is. It mm-hmm. could be a lot of people. Or you could be seeing multiple companies, and you're not putting two and two together. You're not seeing that, like, oh, you know, like, with you, it's not like, oh, I just saw Mitch work with Adobe. Oh, now he's doing Dollar Shave Club. Now, no, no, it's it's usually like, oh, Mitch is doing something with Adobe. Um, we'll say Sam, right, is doing something with this person, and this other person is doing something with this person, and you kind of, like, correlate them to, like, you know, like, like I don't know, uh, you, you're just overexposed yeah. to ads and, like, media, like, like uh, on social media all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, too, like, you know, everyone has their own bandwidth of what's going on and, and what they can handle, and at the end of the day, you know, if someone if someone's working directly with a brand or certain things like that, you just you don't see all the the hundreds and you know it could be thousands of hours going behind a project or overlapping with other projects. You just see the end result, right? So you get on Instagram and you see like, oh, just Sam for example, like, oh, he worked with this brand, this brand. You're like, sweet, I didn't even know he was doing that project. Um, and then you see someone else. You know, everyone has their own kind of lane that they're in. And collectively with the, you know, the hundreds of people that are closest to the core of this community, it's, uh, you know, it's all over the place. You're like, man, everyone's doing everything, right? Like, you know, I, I think in the beginning, it's easy to get overwhelmed with that. And you go, well, how do I do this much, right? But if, if you really focus on it and you really kind of like zoom down into the, the micro of what everyone's got going on, I, I think everyone di- everyone's days look pretty similar at, you know, whatever production level uh, they're producing at. You know, it's just like you know, one step after the other, like, you know, if you, if you want to shoot on a red camera, like you got to go, it doesn't just magically happen, you know, you need to go, uh, or put an order in on share grid and go pick up a camera and rent it out for the weekend and then cover that with your insurance policy and, you know, find other people that can man the camera for you. And like, you know, where does that money come from? Does that fit in the budget? You know, there's like a thousand variables. Um, but at the end of the day, it is really cool to see with the, the quantity of people working with brands, how uh, how much content actually comes out? I, I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. And with that being said, how much does location play into creative work and just creative connections overall? Yeah, man. So going back to a little bit about just moving out here and then trying to find a home base out here. Like, I I since day one, I, th- I think location has been huge. I didn't really know that it was that huge until I moved out to Los Angeles. Uh, and I think something would be similar for New York or anywhere. And, and you know, with that being said, you, I, I do believe you can live anywhere um, and do things at a high level. I think it's just a little bit harder. And I think the barrier to entry, like, it's just not as smooth, right? Like, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of like, opportunities are very location-dependent where, you know, I've had, I've had jobs come up and they go, hey, man, uh, you got referred by a friend of a friend. We need an FPV pilot this afternoon. Like, are you free in three hours? And you're like, oh, man, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, let's go. Like, I'm going to go home and grab my stuff and drive to Malibu or something. You're like, I, I didn't think that was going to come up today. And, you know, and then it's like super intense all afternoon, whatever. You agree on rates. And, uh, and then it's just like that would have never happened uh, if I was living elsewhere. Although... I do have friends, you know, I have friends that live in Seattle, Portland, uh, New York, uh, North Carolina, Florida, like they make it happen. I, I know a lot of guys that have a really solid body of work that get hired on a consistent basis. And, you know, I've had guys that move out of like central Los Angeles, move down to Orange County, uh, Huntington, or even like north and like Santa Clarita, uh, which is probably like 30, 40 minutes north uh, without traffic. And like 
that like those guys are doing great you know they're they have a solid body of work they have solid connections i just think in the beginning uh for that kind of like fluid uh like opportunities coming your way it it really does help to be in a place where everyone's at uh and whether that's new york or los angeles it it does play a big role or at least for my past experience it has played a major role in in my opportunities wow uh yeah well i mean I hear that a lot, especially like New York and L.A. being the central points of creative freedom. And I can kind of attest to that a little bit after I got out of the Marine Corps in 2018. Right. Uh, And I was getting into, you know, making a living with my creative work. Like I've been creating for five, a little over five years now. And like I said, 2018 is when I when I uh, really started getting paid on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I could just go out. And <laughs> I didn't think about it like uh, the negative effects of it, but I could just go out and find a $250 gig at like any time. Like it was just yeah. like, oh, you want something done? 250 bucks? Okay, cool. And you just do something real quick. And then I would like work the first week to pay my rent and get everything going. And then like everything else was just like fuck around money. It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to take this money. I'm going to go up to Washington, D.C. and check that out. I'm going to go drive here. I'm going to go do this. Uh, I'm going to fly to Hawaii or whatever else. Yeah. And so... I had a different approach, and and I know now that that's bad because it it, it, it like devalues everybody else. Because if they get like a solid video for two fifty, why are they gonna pay that other creator five thousand for uh, you know the work they're doing, right? I mean, there's different mm-hmm. reasons, but like that's kind of the company mindset. You kind of devalue the work, and and I wasn't working with brands or anything like that, but I'm doing like a local advertisement for like a barber shop, or I'm doing like yeah. I'm going with somebody and I'm shooting like a boxing event. And they're throwing me a little bit of cash, or I, I'm, you know, I'm helping with a film festival in Newark, New Jersey, or I'm, I'm doing things like that. And so I'm just getting like little bites and pieces of, you know, cash here and there. And I definitely wasn't at the level I am now. I was using a Canon 70D. I was getting some cool photos. Like there was one I got paid for a fashion show that I went to, and I was just walking around and happened to stumble on the fashion show. And because of a connection I made with the, I, I was working with the. the what is it? Um, I was working with, uh, I don't know, the, the the college, Rutgers University up in mm-hmm. you know Newark, New Jersey. They got like different, yeah. like, they had two different locations for college, but Newark, New Jersey is where the film school was. I wasn't going to school there, and the only people allowed in the editing lab were people going to school there and me, right? Um, I mm-hmm. went in there, and I was helping the people with, in that program with, like, like I said, the the film festivals and everything else. And so when that fashion show came up and I saw that guy there, he was like, Oh yeah, come here, uh, shoot this and I'll give you a couple bucks. And, and I got some great photos from that personally. And it taught like all these like opportunities taught me so much. Cause you know, like I wouldn't have been able to get in, I wouldn't have been able to meet the mayor of Newark, New Jersey or everything else. And like, it just kind of levels up, especially, I mean, you, you keep in mind, this is, I don't want to say like I was a beginner creator, but I was a beginner like paid creator, right? Like yeah. I'd been creating YouTube videos and very low stake stuff, but now when money's on the line, that's where you really have to pay attention because if you, you know, somebody especially the higher, you know, dollar projects, but if you promise somebody something for $500 and they pay you $500, you don't deliver, you lose work really fast. Mhm. And so mm-hmm. there's there's a whole like spectrum of things to consider. Yeah. And and I think too, you know, in the, in the beginning, like I, I have definitely had my fair share of, you know, clients who are like, Oh, here's 250 or 300, whatever. Um, and and I think part of it too, is trying to seek out, okay. Two parts that I'm thinking of is one, one, knowing your worth as a creative, 
uh, and trying to be objective about what you can actually charge as a creative. Like in the very beginning, you know, it might make sense, like, you know, $200, $200 for a gig for someone first starting out or, you know, whatever. Um, But, you know, if if you know what skill level you're at, uh, I guess guess what you're getting at here is you never want to undervalue your creative, like, ability, right? Like if if they should be paying you, uh, you know, $1,000 or $2,000, $5,000 for a gig, then you know you never you never want to go in and, and charge five hundred dollars uh, for that like you're saying because you know the, the the market's only getting more saturated so you never want to devalue uh, anything like that but I think what's important is finding over time is finding those clients that one will can pay on a consistent basis but also know your worth as a creative and I think part of that coming comes through uh, your value to them right if they're in in, in really big need of your services and you can truly deliver, you know, that's, that's where they'll, they'll pay you whatever you're worth to them, right? If, if, uh, if they really need a strong creative that can over deliver, and that's what you're known for, and that's what your reputation is, they'll gladly pay you anything if they have the money for it. Um, and if you make it happen on a consistent basis, that's, that's where you find that good mixture of sustainability and, and good relationships. I wholeheartedly agree, and I do want to go back to that and say, um, when I was charging two fifty to five hundred dollars, for the most part, I was a second shooter, right, for people, uh-huh. and so there was a there was a project um, budget, and I was getting a piece of that. And when I would do like solo work for that much, it was because, like I said, I was in the beginning stages. I had a Canon 70D. I didn't have the gear that I have now. I didn't have the experience that I have now and the skills and everything. So I was just kind of like, oh, I haven't shot a fashion show before, so I'll just do whatever I can, right? And yeah. then we'll see how it turns out. You know, it's either going to be worth $250 or I'm going to grossly un- uh, over deliver, right, and take these mm-hmm. great photos and then get hired off for something else. And then you have that uh, you have that talk again. You're like, hey, you know, I charge you two hundred fifty, three hundred, five hundred dollars for this because I didn't really know how to do it. But now, you know, this say this boxing event. Oh, I've done a ton of these. You know, I'm gonna charge you seven fifty or a thousand now because this is where my comfort zone is. You know, and you kind of have mm-hmm. that that talk. But at the time, like I said. I was stepping out and building my portfolio. I was doing these boxing events. I was doing these fashion shows. I was doing everything else. And so the reason I was charging so little is because I was either a second shooter or the fact that I just didn't have a ton of experience and I didn't want to charge, you know, all this money and then mess up a shot. Because if, you, if, if you're charging 250 and you mess up a shot, just as long as you have a, a couple other shots to back up your work, they're not going to really pay you any, any, like, negative feedback. They're just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, right. It, it is what it is. Yeah, when you spend two fifty on a project and you don't get like the most amazing work, you're like, oh, whatever, I spent two fifty. That's that's what it's worth, you know. But when you spend five thousand and you've got like a card, like uh, I was talking to somebody that would do like the boxing events with HBO, and he was talking about the importance of shooting with two memory cards and like storing on bulk memory cards because of memory card formats, and you you make great money from that, and you do a lot of great things. But you're under contract, and if like a memory card, like a memory card messes up or something like that, you're liable, and they can sue you. Yep. You yep. know, as as you go up. But that's that's why I do want to say that I wasn't just charging it. Like at the time, two hundred fifty dollars mm-hmm. in a day was a decent amount of money. It was like cool. That pays everything I need. Do I need a bus? Do I need a subway ticket or, or uh, into New York? That's easy. You know, that's okay. That's a part of my rent. Or you know, if I put two of those in a day or, you know, three of them back to back in the beginning of the week, you know, bam, that's rent, that's food, that's, you know, the basic bills that I have covered, and then everything else is just me getting ahead. 
And so I was very lucky at the time because I was living in Newark, New Jersey, right outside of New York for 600 a month for a studio apartment. I had to mm-hmm. live with some crackheads, and we didn't have an <laughs> oven because somebody tried to smoke crack out of it. But, yeah. you know, you just – in the beginning, for me, it didn't matter. Like, I went to watch the ball drop. I waited 13 hours the first time for the experience because I was just so pig-headed. I didn't care. And then yeah. the next year I did it, I had standards, and I only went – and I found a way to wait only two hours, right? And mm-hmm. so – as you kind of start, wherever you start, you're going to start with like the biggest struggle, right? That you're ever going to like accept. You have the standard yeah. as you start. You're not, you don't really care where you live or what you're doing or how you're making the money necessarily. But as you get more into creation, that's when your standards start to get higher or else you're not going to get anywhere. 100%. 100%, a, man. I love that. What a crazy time. I, I, I like looking back on that. I couldn't believe like everything I went through. Like we had communal showers and uh, I didn't, I, my wow. flip flops broke and I showered in moccasins. And so I had two pairs oh, of the man. Walmart moccasins and I would just like hang them up over the heater to dry and alternate them. I had a cooler full of, uh, I had a lease get pulled out from under me and I was living in a uh, Ford Escape. And I'd have homeless people come up to me and ask me for stuff constantly because they'd see me in my car. And I'm yeah. like, hey, man, I'm in the same position you are. But here's a protein yeah. shake. And oh, there's this one guy, you know, because I had the Fairlife protein shakes. I bought like a ton of them. Yeah. And uh, this one guy was like, what the hell am I supposed to do with protein shake? And I swear to God, I wanted to throw another one at the back of his head so hard. Like, man, I'm literally struggling. Like, I was going through a divorce at the time. i just gotten out of the service, so I'm trying to, like, transition into the civilian life. Like, it was a hard time. And for yeah. somebody to look at me when I'm trying to give them what little I have, right, to help them out, and they're mm-hmm. like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this protein shake? I wanted, oh, I was so mad. Mm. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I get it. I, I think, you know, as far as everything we talk about with, with finances or business and stuff like as you would know man it it takes time to do these things like it sounds simple on paper but you know everything's situational from you know your story and and your transition back into civilian life and like like I remember one one of the toughest uh you know financial times I've had just a couple years ago and it was like it was like working non-stop on these projects and still like I was, I was getting paid very little for them. And it was like, even if I finish these projects these, this month, it won't even cover rent. Um, like, and I was just working all day, every day. I felt like a dead end. Uh, didn't even have enough for rent. I ended up going to an ATM and doing like a cash advance on like maxing out a credit card and then just redeposited it and paid the last like bit of rent and stuff. And then like, you know, for you, like the protein shake story, like right after that, I went and it was like, I think I had like, like a couple like dollars or something to put in my gas tank and then some guy comes over and it's like hey man uh do you mind like could you spare me some money for gas and i was like dude i i have i have no i have zero money to give you um and you know just things like that where it's you know a lot of people like like there there definitely are like easier ways to like one living in los angeles comes with a higher cost of living um, and part of that is just part of the opportunities. So there is some negatives to it, but at the same time, like this stuff takes years to, you know, actually fully implement and like build relationships and consistently get money coming in. And, you know, people don't really see the struggles, uh, behind the scenes on everything going on. You know, you got, you know, everyone has their own thing that they're going through 
And I guess it's just to keep in mind that, you know, no matter where you're at or what your living situation or anything is, if, if you see yourself in a better world or a better position in the future, then that's, that's something we're striving for. And I think if you spend enough time and enough focus focusing on it, uh, you'll at least make some, some solid steps towards it. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And to kind of like add on that before I get to my last question with you, um, with that being said, like on paper, yeah, it looks fine. But in real life, you don't know what problems you're going to hit, right? You don't know what's going to happen when your memory card formats and it's corrupted on your computer. You don't know what you're going to do when all of a sudden you book your highest paying gig or, or you just book, book, a, book a gig that's very important to you. You're like, okay, cool. When I complete this gig, that's my rent for the month. And then they cancel on you because you don't have a contract clause that says, hey, the you have to deposit half before I shoot and it's non-refundable, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't know in the beginning that I needed to, to take a deposit in the beginning to make sure I didn't get screwed over. I worked with some big bigger people like BPI sports and, 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 and like, like uh, I started getting into like the, the brands and stuff and I didn't know how much to charge. Right. And I didn't know what to mm-hmm. expect. And then there were some people that shorted me that just d- yeah. either didn't pay. Like, um, I, I'd give this stuff over and then wait for the money and then it just never came or, or they were like, Oh, we'll give you exposure or anything like that. Like on paper, it looks very simple, but what are you going to do when your first client stiffs you? What are you going to do when you don't have your contract locked up the way it needs to be, or you don't have, you know, the contract that you need or, or whatever else it may be. Right. And so those are some things to keep in mind. There are only some lessons you can learn with failure and stuff like that. And and you're going to have setbacks all the time. So if you're barely getting by, by the skin of your teeth, just prepare to, to, to eat some ass really yeah and and i mean like on top of that as well like like one one there is a certain amount of failure and you know risk risk reduction that you can do for yourself and for your business and opportunities and things um but but i I think there is a good case to make for uh learning from others as well I, i definitely think if i could sit down with with myself three years ago and just run through finances and what was important you know it's it takes like a couple clients that that don't pay or you didn't have the right clauses in your agreements or like indemnification or anything like that and you know these these things protect you or like general liability insurance and i think learning about these things up front and here's i guess a good case for you know business school or anything like that or just courses online uh for whatever matter or just being around people that understand this stuff or people that have done it longer than you because i i think learning from others mistakes can be just as valuable um, if not, sometimes speed up your own learning process. But at the same time, there there is a learning curve that you'll have to go through no matter what. You know, you have to walk around with egg on your face for a little while uh, before you learn it's even there. Um, but that that's all part of the process, right? It's I mean, it's the part that I loved, right? Like for me, I was uh, I was lucky enough that when I didn't get paid by that gig, it wasn't life or death. It wasn't the end of everything else, right? Like. Uh, mm-hmm. I had enough saved up and everything, but it was just one of those things. I was like, man, that's a bummer. Okay. How can I learn from that? So like I've always made very aggressive mistakes. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. like, like you think you hear a bigger brand. You're like, Oh, I don't need a contract with a bigger brand. You especially need a (laughs) contract with a bigger brand. Yeah, you do. Uh, Cause I was like, Oh, well they've got a good reputation, you know? Like, oh, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll hook it up. They'll help me out. You know, if I over-deliver, they'll do this. And then what, what ends up happening is they just keep you, oh, well, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Until you finally say no. And they're like, all right, cool. Take care. You know, I just yeah, kept trying yeah. to like, I'm like, oh, this is a big brand. Let me just keep trying to do stuff. And then I'm looking, I'm like, 
man, I did probably like $2,500 worth of work, right? Ten times the work that I intended for him for 250 and I didn't even get $250 out of it. I didn't even yeah. get free. I didn't even get free like merchandise or anything else. I'm like, they really just like led me on, which is, like I said at the time, like uh, it was kind of a bummer, but I I grew from it because I had a chance to practice things I hadn't practiced before. Because when you're doing that much work for somebody and and you get it wrong, they can't really fault you or get mad at you, right? Yeah. Right? When you try new things, and so I was able to get these shoots. I was able to get other things going. And then my friends are reaching out. They're like, man, how are you working with these people? Or how are you doing this? And so, like, in the moment, it was it was a good learning experience. And it was just a good good experience overall, like, uh, yeah. on my part, not theirs. You know, yeah. shame on them. But I'm not going to name any names because I'm over it, you know. I haven't thought about it. But still, like, looking back at those photos and those videos and seeing what I was able to do in that situation was very valuable for me, especially for my confidence. And I'm sure you were able to leverage that content for other brands and stuff because like one at a financial loss a situation like that is like one you know the the right answer would be you should have had yourself covered but you wouldn't know until you know you know but then you also have this content and a body of work that you go hey if i did twenty five hundred dollars worth of work now i can show another client or another perspective anyone say hey look here here's what i can do and here's what i charge for it you know and so like there's always a good that can come out of any of those things it's just like getting past some of those learning bumps and and just make, making sure you're doing it all right, you know? Yeah. See, for me, the the bad was so far outweighed by the good, I didn't pay attention to it. That's why it wasn't a big deal. It yeah. was like around the holidays, you know, I'd have something go through. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> I can't really be sad because my next destination is the top of the Empire State Building or I'm going to Rockefeller <laughs> Center or I'm going to go yeah. eat at my favorite Italian restaurant, you know, right outside of Brooklyn. Um, right. Kind of Gallo Nero. That's my favorite. If you ever go to Manhattan or, or like right between Manhattan and Brooklyn, Gallo Nero yeah. is my favorite Italian restaurant. They're dope. But like mm-hmm. I didn't have time to like be sad. Even though I had a car accident, I took like a few days off and I'd got myself up to a position there because I got mm-hmm. T-boned, couldn't move around. It was I think I was laying in bed on Christmas. But then after that, like I said, you go to the Empire State Building, you go to Rockefeller Center and, and you're paying money, right? But you're getting these opportunities even though some things fall through and there are some negatives, there is so much upside, especially coming from a small town to where I mm-hmm. could I could walk in a city where there's anything going on at any given moment. I can take pictures of random people, random yeah. things. You could walk by anybody on that street, right? For me, that was worth the investment. That was worth the risk. That was worth the failure. And so the positives that I had outweighed the, the failures or the negative things probably a 1,000 to 1. Yeah. 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 I agree, man. So yeah, keep that in mind. And then we're going to, we're going to finish up this, we're going to wrap up this podcast episode with, you know, just something that I I, want to know. Um, personally, what is your favorite and least favorite part of being a creator? Of being a creator, man. I, I think my, my favorite part of being a creator is one, the community of people that you get to be around that you get to create with. I mean, one, you do it for the love and the passion of like, you know, I, I genuinely enjoy enjoy the craft of filmmaking uh, as a whole, right? Like getting to sit down every day and, you know, use your brain to think of ideas and, you know, what would be interesting. Like the possibilities truly are are endless. You know, I could I could choose to do anything that I want at any moment. Like obviously, you know, structure your time well, 
you know, focus on the projects you need to focus on. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of mental clarity, I think, that comes from being a creator, a film director, a DP, in, you know, in any film position uh, anywhere. Uh, and I think with that, you get to live on your own terms, in a sense, and, and, and have time to build up other ways of income and other freedoms and experience things that you want to do. Uh, I think one of the negatives that, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite optimistic. Uh, so a lot of the negatives, you know, as we just discussed, are, are things to learn and grow from. Uh, but I think sometimes there, it's easy to find yourself in a position where you've kind of like over-indexed your, your focus or you're able to take on like too many projects at the same time uh, or have too many things going on in your head. And I think in the same way that film can kind of create this clarity of thinking and focusing on the bigger picture and things, uh, when you're in the nitty gritty of, you know, 10 projects rolling at the same time, uh, I, I think that level of anxiety and, you know, attention and nonstop, you know, the lack of sleep or whether you're traveling, um, you know, there's there there are some stresses that come along with it. And the goal ultimately would be to have those options to some of those stresses not to exist and to focus on the things that that are important to you. So the important the my favorite parts of being a creator, the freedom and then the my least favorite parts are are some of the stresses associated with uh, with some of the projects and you know things always go wrong. Uh, you know a drone falls out of the sky. You know I've been on shoots where I've crashed like three drones before. I've been like man I'm not having it today. Um, you know there's like you know equipment falls. You got you know budget stuff that doesn't work. People don't show up. People get sick. Your flight gets delayed. You miss an entire shoot from a, a flight getting canceled. Um, you know, it's, it's endless, but at the same time, I think, I think all of those negatives, you kind of grow this very, very stoic approach to, to filmmaking as a whole and to like to business and life. And it's kind of, you know, the approach of, of like, you know, although like these bad things are bound to happen, there'll always be more in the future, bad things that happen on whatever scale to whatever degree in personal life, business, anything. Um, but it's, you know, it's learning to roll with those punches. And at the end of the day, it's the question is, what are you going to do about it? Uh, it's not necessarily like, you know, like, you know, or what are you going to do? Are you going to overcome these things? You know, it's like, and like, like, what, what else can you do from here um, that would create a better outcome for you in the future? And I think when you look at it that way, the, the really tough parts of our lives and, and work, they, they often define how much we are able to like, push forward and have like mental solitude into the future. So a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but I think it's all good. Dude, that's an amazing answer. And I love one of my favorite, like one of the things, one of my favorite parts about it was how you turn the negatives into a positive. And that was part of the reason I asked it is to, you know, kind of get a gauge and see like what you're going to say. Cause honestly being a creator, whether it's photo, video, podcast, whatever it is, is a dream of mine and everybody that I know has that in common. You know, you're passionate because you love it, because you wake up every day excited and because there's so much upside, right? And so mm -hmm. for me, I love being able to capture a moment that would otherwise forever be lost in time for somebody, right? Their wedding, their, you know, we'll say bar, mitz bar mitzvah. That's a very New mm -hmm. York thing for me, yeah. um, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, all these moments that they have, especially starting out, you get to share these intimate moments with everybody. And my other favorite part is you're along for the adventure, right? You're the camera. You're the main catalyst, right? So maybe you're not that rich entrepreneur. But when I'm working with entrepreneurs, if they're jumping out of a plane, I'm right next to them with a camera, right? Yeah. Or if they're, if they're in a Ferrari, I'm in there, too. I'm, I have a front row ticket no matter where I go, an all-access pass, if you will. And it leads to amazing memories and amazing moments, right? 
And I love being able to turn those thoughts into ideas, those thoughts into viable things that other people can can hear and see and smell and touch. And and it's just this crazy thing. And as far as the negative goes, you know, the negative for me is a positive, too. Like like I look at my growth as a creator and I look back at like when I try to create a film and failed miserably and I cringe at that because I've grown so much and I see the error in my ways right I look back at the stuff I used to make and I go oh you know I could have done this better I could have done better and you know how beautiful is that that you could have done better right that is such a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. and 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 those experiences like those experiences at the end of the day are worth everything you know you get to not only not only step into someone else's shoes and experience their world of whatever you're filming and the people you get to be around but also, you know, when you get back in the edit bay or you're looking back at these videos and things that you've done, you get to relive those things over and over and over again. 100%. I love that. And I will say one of the ne- or or one of the negatives for me, the, the last one I'm going to touch on is also a positive and that is a simple statement that discipline is freedom, right? And it's a mm-hmm. great thing because if you're disciplined, right? You you have financial freedom. You've got, you know, time management, you got everything else. You have freedom, ultimate freedom to do whatever you want, travel where you want. As as uh, you know, Mitch said, you you, you know, he was able to travel and do this work for brands because he was disciplined because he did what he needed to do. But on the flip side, if you aren't disciplined, discipline is the key to freedom. And so if you're sitting there eating like shit or just like waking up late or going to bed late and it's not pertinent to the project you're working on you're not editing it until 1 a.m to get something out sooner right then you're gonna find yourself without a lot of gigs you're gonna find yourself you know with 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 way more stress than you need right so discipline equals freedom i want you to keep that in mind and if you are struggling at some point in your creative you know endeavor right now you got to ask yourself where the discipline is lacking are you not creating enough are you not waking up early enough are you not meeting in front of enough potential clients are you not are you not social enough like what is the area you lack and what part uh, of your creative process could use a little more discipline a hundred percent and I think I'll I'll kind of leave off our statement here and you know when it comes down to it discipline is such an important thing in the creative process like I, I think a misconception is that us as creators, like we always, always, always like love to do our work. And I I don't think that's always the case. Like we're grateful for it. And the freedom that comes along with it is incredible. But sometimes, man, work feels like work. And I I think any creative can can relate to that, whether it's, you know, you need five days editing, whatever. There's this quote by, uh, I believe it was in the book, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he was saying that the hardest part of any artist or, uh, or great artist, for say, is actually just sitting down in your chair to do your work. If, if you can get past that stage, I heard this other quote, and he was like, you know, sometimes, I think it was from a podcast, so it was still a long time ago. He was like, you know, sometimes, like, when you don't want to do things, a lot of time as creatives, like, sometimes it'll just end up being, you know, you saying to yourself, all right, let's get this done, period. Like, we have to get this done right now. And, you know, just keeping that discipline and like it won't always be fun. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, that freedom that that discipline creates is is incredible. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything.